Norbeck Arms. This is in Louisville, Kentucky, a property that uh, we brought uh, back in May of 2017. My hope today is we're going to dive through this. It's going to give you guys some clarity and just really some guidance. Um, maybe you're farther ahead of me. Who knows? But on that part, hopefully it gives you the certainty that you can do this too. Everybody listening, everybody here active today can do this. It's just now taking the steps and honestly putting together the process to really just take the action to get it done. All right. So quickly from here, a little bit about me, a beautiful wife uh, named Peely. She actually just picked up our three little crazy kids who were here at the office with me. Um, as I said, three amazing kids, two bulldogs, general partners on over 750 units uh, throughout Kentucky, Georgia, and Texas um, with two new properties under contract. That's kind of, that part is off. We actually, so we just sold one, just brought another on. Um, so we're somewhere in that Delta there around 750 units. We syndicate deals, uh, apartment deals and teach others to do the same. I keep very regimented in what I wear and eat, really just trying to get back my time where it makes sense and where it matters, limiting my choices. I've run a lot, did a 100-mile run in November, do CrossFit, and uh, host a podcast with my beautiful wife called The Jason and Peely Project. So are you ready? Now we have to get to the point of, of why we did this to start, right? Uh, come from a construction family background business. Um, I have worked in bars, restaurants. I've opened a, a bar and still have um, a restaurant in New York City, opened a brewery and sold a brewery. A number of different facets, but we realized we really just want to get our time back. And so for that, that led us into a lot of facets of multifamily. And on that fact, when we actually went in there and got to multifamily, we actually started with small multifamily because we each have our threshold where we, we feel that we're safe or we want to take some action. And for us, it was, it was small multifamily. And we did that and we made the transition pretty quickly from small multifamily for, to large multifamily. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the reasons why. Uh, bold promise is that you know after today, you will have a format you can take and replicate to take action to find your first deal. Now, are there gonna be questions along the way? Sure, are we gonna cover every topic? No, we don't have hours and hours upon time, but I will give you the format. It's basically what I do, what we teach people to do, what is our part and our progress to actually make deals happen. This is what we do. So it's worked for us, it's worked for others, a repeatable format. We did not make this up. We were basically just blessed to find other like-minded people that were doing this process, able to just really take action, really make it happen, and then just mimic the process. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. It's the one thing I'll put out there to you today. Uh, you know, this business can be definitely hard enough, right? Just in terms of all the steps in the process, we're not always the smartest one in the room. And as said, if you are, make sure you go find a different room. So we wanted to find other people that were like-minded doing this very well, see what they were doing, and then really making this happen. All right. So be ready to do the work to change. We knew that we had to find a way to get back our time. Uh, Peely and I just got married. We were having our first baby, working like crazy. And so for this, we wanted to find a way to get out of our jobs. And with our family business, we were so busy due to a lot of the storm work we were doing back from Hurricane Sandy that we need to find a way to create passivity in our life. So as we said before, we started doing a number of different things, flipping and wholesaling that were just more active jobs. And it took us to find multifamily where we really could just put together 
finding the life we want, finding financial freedom for our families for generations to come and the hundreds around us. And that's what we still strive to do today. How can we find and create the life we want? And when you think about that, that can be different from all of us, right? So you have to find what's most important to you because if you're sitting on the sideline right now, it's not important enough to you because you have to take those steps no matter what people are going to say, no matter what people are going to think and know that you're going to have ups and downs just like anything else. But the side of going over the hill to the other side is a lot brighter than where you stand today. If you're not happy in your position, if you are and you want to use this as another part to find happiness, great. Psyched to have you here. So. We jumped in. As we said, we made the choice to focus on large multifamily. We started engaging on platforms like Bigger Pockets, read a ton of books, uh, you know, books on syndications, books on investing in apartment buildings, and really honed in. Um, you can find that going to meetups, going to RIAs, going to, you know, even a, even a thing like Bigger Pockets, super site, right? But with that said, when you're going to these sites, every week is something different. So you have to make sure if you want to do investing in apartments, you have to start finding that as your core focus and really just hone in, dive in, learn everything you can and not really just put the, put the blinders on and not be distracted by everything else that's happening around you. We found mentors who did what I wanted to do. We wanted to find people that were doing this great, understand their process, understand how they were doing it, learn from them. Now, sure, does this come at a price? Absolutely. But is the price for not doing much greater? Is the price for the time that we may be on the sideline? Because could I get this done? without mentorships, without other people around me? Yeah, sure, probably. I, I, I'm pretty motivated. But would it have taken me a lot longer? Yeah, absolutely. But I've made more mistakes along the way? Yes, absolutely. So know what you want and know what that step is for you. And that comes down to setting expectations and goals and timeframes, right? A goal without really having an end cap or a timeline to it is just a wish. You need to set a goal, what that goal means, whether it's a cash flow goal, whether it's a time commitment goal, whether it's a, a life change goal, and you have to give it some actual time frame, And not five years, not 10 years, not, not some part where it's just too hard to grasp. What are you gonna do these next three months? What are gonna be these steps? And start taking action. The amount of time that you're telling yourself how you wish you just do it, really just comes down to just doing it. Any action is better than no action. So. We set the cornerstone, right? We created a guide to understanding terms and ratios. And this is the first part. Now, if you're doing other facts of real estate, honestly, if you're doing other parts of real estate, it, it is all transferable, but you're going to have a different talk track. You're going to have a different understanding, a different mentality. There's going to be different ratios that are going to be important to you, especially if you're also now syndicating deals and you're bringing investors on. You understand how to talk to talk. So when you're now faced with the other partners, that one, you can understand the guidance you're giving you. And then two, you can also be helpful by giving your own feedback because now you're all talking on the same plane. A great book here, uh, one of the beginning was uh, What is Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow, 36 Other Key Financial Measures. I think he just brought out an update like two years ago. Um, dry book, but it literally covers every point here. Now, can you find team members here who do tackle on all your financial modeling? Sure. But should you be savvy if you want to be the lead and you want to be the sponsor? Should you be savvy enough to understand what is this part of the process? Yes. Now, we're going to talk about team members. We're going to talk about the importance of team members. We're going to talk about everything that you need here. Now, is it smart to do every, every role? No, absolutely not. May you do a lot more roles in the beginning? Probably. So knowing the roles, knowing the objectives, knowing the opportunity here, that's going to be really where you can find, one, the value, 
how to make these roles better, and also what you do and you don't like. All right, so next, we dissected a market. We looked for a market that had a number of the following indicators. And we, we have a list of about 25, but here's really some of the top ones. Job growth and diversity. Uh, we want to have a job growth. It's, it's super important, but the diversity is, is even more important. We don't want one team or one team member or one group or one company leading it, right? Uh, like a Bethlehem Steel. We don't want one group that could take it down to the point if they moved out or um, had a lack of funding or something changed, it could really affect one, just the income and, and everything that's actually happening in that town, but two, just ultimately the population that could possibly be living in your apartment community. Next, population growth. Past that, we also want to look at supply shortage. Is there a, a massive need for housing and how is the city or the MSA dealing with that need for, for, that need for uh, housing coming online? Um, and that comes down to the new construction cap. So is there new construction coming around here in massive waves on the opposite side where it may ultimately when time comes that the market changes or the economy changes that all this new construction that's out there may ultimately hinder you because they may be given concessions that bring down to you. Uh, landlord friendly state. Uh, many of you, if you're here in New Jersey or you're in some of the other states, you've had evictions, you know the process, how difficult, how um, wavering it can be. And you want to look for really states that are aligned to make this in favor of the landlord. Now, ultimately, you don't want to be a bad landlord, but you do not want to have a tenant ruling over you and your building. Uh, we look for age of inventory in 1970s or newer. Honestly, you can be in other markets and look for older. You can also be newer. Uh, but this comes down to one, just the type of product that we're going to get, the age of mechanicals and other. And then also the supply of large multifamily. You may find a great market that hits on these other points, but if there's not a lot of large multifamily buildings in that market, like a Provo, Utah. Well, then the model of buying assets that are not performing to their best is really not going to fit you. And you may have to look to another thing like development where that might fit better in that kind of market. All right. So we're going to look to learn to evaluate properties. You want, you want to look to find what is the core concept of what you're looking for. So when you can help and talk to other people, you can be specific about what you want, but you also want to be able to underwrite a number of deals, look at a number of deals, just so you can have a good format of what actually looks good to you on start and where you can dive in further and find more value. So ultimately, if you're, if you're conceptualizing finding a deal and taking the next steps, now it's becoming real because you're doing it. And it's much better to be doing these steps and making these mistakes now before you're actually into the deal. So you're going to notice here, we're, we're going to talk a lot about doing the legwork. We did the legwork. We were doing this all before we found Norbrook. We didn't just go out there and offer on, no, on Norbrook. We went out there and did all these steps beforehand to get to the, get to the uh, prospect of going to offer on a deal. So we were prepared and we were ready. The, it's, it's like, uh, imagine you uh, never picked up a baseball bat and then you jump up and you, you grab a baseball bat and, and go to plate in, in a, a, I don't know, in a major league baseball game. Well, that would be the equivalent of you going off around a $10 million, $10 million deal without having all these steps in place. So knowing what you can do, knowing the steps in place, so you're ready to take on this opportunity, especially if you're going to take on other people's monies as investments to help with this opportunity, you need to make sure that you're fluent with the opportunity, you're fluent with the steps that can go in, because no matter how fluent you are, there's going to be things that come up that are not prepared for, 
And if you're not prepared for the entire project, the entire property, things are definitely going to go off course because there's too much for you to tackle. So find deals on LoopNet, reach out to brokers, get on the investment list, go over these, find as many deals as you want, because the more bad deals you look at, it's really going to make a good deal stand out very quickly when you find it. And it's very important right now when there's a lot of deals that are tough to find. Well, you want to be digging through these so you can really find a needle in a haystack when it comes up. All right, so once you do start in this journey, you do need to brand yourself. You need to help yourself stand apart or even side by side with other groups who are actively buying properties. Now, remember, there, there's some major players here. I mean, there, there's some great people who are actually doing this very well, have done this for many years before this has become part. So you need to be specific with your criteria and specific with your talk track. So um, many of you heard this before, but if we're in a Louisville, Kentucky, we're basically going out there uh, and we're having a talk track with our brokers. We're saying, okay, hey, we're looking for 75 to 150 units, BC assets built from 1970 to 2005, valued between 3 million and 15 million in the South Central or South sub markets. Well, now they understand what I want. They know I've done my homework. They know I'm being specific. And now, where can our track record come from? That track record now is going to be you building your brand. So you could start a podcast. You could go out there and start a newsletter, start activity on social media. You could partner with people who can bring this track record to the table. It could be another partner from the general partnership side. It could also be another partner from the property management side. Or you may have a track record from another, another business or another company. Don't set that down. If you have a track record in performing in other ways, performing in other processes, performing in other companies, growing other businesses, that is definitely to your advantage. So don't doubt yourself. If you have track record, that carries through very successfully in all businesses, let alone this or other. So basically come to the plate with what you have, build your team around you for what you need. All right, so here's some of what you need. Some of the most important partners here, your external partners are going to be your property managers, your brokers, your bankers, your CPAs, and your syndication lawyers, your cost seg analysis, your insurance partners, and your contractors. Some of these may overlap. You may have a property management that also offers uh, um, you know, construction in-house. Um, you're going to have your, your bankers. Uh, sometimes your brokers will have in-house where they can also do the loans as well. So you want to know what each partner does so you can make sure they align. For property managers, it was very specific for us. We want a property manager in uh, the Louisville market that had 5,000 units, um, had in-house construction, had real-time data, was fluent with Class C properties, knew how to handle Section 8 if we wanted to and other points of that point. Brokers, you, they're very, of course, they're putting out a lot of deals right now that don't make sense. They also are getting very high price. So you do need to have the connection with brokers. Unlike residential, you know, brokers can put pocket listings and really never put a listing out to market if it's not to the will of the seller. And ultimately, that broker may sell a lot of properties before you ever see them. So you want to get in front of them. Make sure you have constant communication. And I've talked to a number of brokers. The difference between most and what's going to be you is you're going to follow up. You're going to reach out to a broker. The broker is going to send you stuff. Most of it's not going to be good. You're going to follow up. You're going to make the difference because 99% of people don't take that next step to actually just follow up. It's that simple. You want to set yourself apart, do what you say, say what you do, follow through, and you'll be different. Bankers, same thing here. We want to know our, know our loan options. 
one loan doesn't fit for every property. You find a property and you have a bag full of loans. With those bag full of loans, you can go there and now source what's going to be the best loan to put on this property. Also, if you find good bankers, they're going to help you through the process and be able to make suggestions of something that maybe you weren't aware of or different loan products that might help you along your process as long as you be clear exactly what your process is. Your CPAs and your syndication lawyers, um, your syndication lawyer, they're going to help structure the deal for you, help understand what you're looking for for this deal, how you can make this a win-win for you and your investment team, and really make this a lucrative opportunity for all involved. Um, cost segment may be part of your business plan. Insurance partners. Insurance is getting very expensive right now. So having the right insurance partner that can come in there and help you understand exactly the insurance you're going to need, not overdo you with insurance, and also be able to meet the parameters if you are doing some kind of Fannie or Freddie loan, this is going to be super important. And then contractors. Even if you do have property management in-house, you do want to have some contracting partners so you can go out there and price accordingly things that may come up throughout the project. You also always want to have backups and tests for other uh, members that are doing this. And now internal partners. Now, honestly, a lot of these steps may be you in the beginning. That's not a problem. I mean, this deal, we, we did everything ourselves. So is that always the preferred way? Uh, no. Was it a lot of work? Uh, yes, but we wanted to get it done and we got it done. So you need lead generation. That's what we were talking about prior. You need to find the deals. You need to be able to be the sponsor on the deal. And that comes up that you're going to have to have the liquidity requirement that, that's generally having uh, at least it's 10 months of debt payments or 10% of the cash needed or uh, being able to sponsor a loan, which is, is that you have the equivalent uh, network of the loan amount. So you need to make sure you qualify for this, for these agency loans or for others, so you can actually just get the deal done. Also now the underwriting. Underwriting yourself, great. But you could also have some partners come on and, and help reach and pass that threshold. Asset management, this is the work I love to do. This is actually putting together the plan that you're gonna do to take on the project. And then when you do take on the project here, it's going to be now all the work that needs to get done to take this project through, uh, through the progression of making it a better performing asset and getting it to the step of, of providing returns and ultimately selling it. Risk capital, this is going to be your earnest money fees, all the money that you're going to need to put up for the loan, for your inspections and others. Um, if... There, there's the talk track of, uh, you know, and no money done deals or um, being able to walk in here and find, all, find people with the money once you have the good deal. I, I don't think that falls true for large multifamily. There's too many things that happen too quickly. There's too many roles and responsibilities. You need to have at least partners or some capital aside to be able to go into these projects from the beginning. Limited partners. This is the talk track you're going to have with your partners. We'll talk a little bit further about this, but these are going to be the investors that are going to come in your deal, <clears throat> excuse me, through a syndication that are going to help you. And they're going to be part of the deal. They're not going, they're going to be passive investor, investors. They're not going to have any say in the deal. They're not going to be active in the deal. They're solely going to be passive. They're solely going to be in for what their investment's into, but they're going to provide money for the down payment, for the fees, for the closing costs, and for the capital expenditures with along any money you're putting into the deal. And then, of course, your mentors. Those mentors are also another internal partner that are going to be on your team here, may pass off, maybe certain roles. They may come on as the key, uh, the KP, they may come on as the, as the sponsor. They may just be throughout some of the other general partner roles there. So one of the most important steps here as you're doing this is that you do want to find those partners first, right? You don't want to just go out there and make offers. You don't want to be in a position where you find a great offer and then you can't qualify for a loan. You don't know how to get the loan. You're getting the wrong loan can't find the money, don't know how to raise the money. And now 
you look bad, you can't do this deal, and it, it sets up a black eye for you. So you need to be having talks with bankers and investors well before you have the deal. Banks, you need to know what to expect, what they want from you, what kind of loan you can qualify for. Now, this is important, right? Because you're going to find a deal, you're going to lock it up, and all of a sudden you want to go and get a loan from the bank. If you haven't had this talk track from the, from the bank, you may not know that they want 75 items from you just to even review the loan to see if it's, if it's a qualified opportunity for you. Or you might have an, a similar bank that may just want a rent roll and a trailing 12 months of financials. Ultimately, I'm going to look for the one that's got the easier classifications. They're both good enough to be able to get us across the finish line that can go in there and help us that I don't have to put in everything from, you know, all my past tax returns and, you know, my, my kids' social security numbers. Great. You're going to have to do that eventually, but do I need to know if the, if the deal even works for them before I get to that stage? No. But if I have that talk track beforehand, I can at least know the exact items. The structure of your deal, which I spelled wrong there, that's going to help you quantify your returns, understand how this deal is going to map out, how you can present this deal to the investors. And then ultimately, you want to be talking to your limited partners well before. And the important part here is that you're going to want to understand what kind of qualifications will they need to know from you so they feel comfortable to invest with you and that you are right for their deal and the deal is actually even right for them. And that's why you can't just find a deal and just throw it out to investors because you want to find, how can I help these people? How can I help my investors? Whether they're looking for cash flow, they're looking for appreciation, they're looking for um, portfolio diversification. Uh, they're honestly, maybe they just like you and they want to put together and they want to be in opportunities with you. But you need to understand with that. And also in the same fact, if they're looking for short-term uh, opportunities or looking for long-term opportunities, well, that's two different buckets of investors. If they're investors who don't want cash flow immediately but are looking for uh, potentially a higher um, return ratio, well, that's a whole other bucket of investors. Or if it's someone who just wants cash flow from day one, <clears throat> again, that's a whole other bucket of investors. Having this talk track in the beginning, see on how you can help them seeing what kind of opportunities they're looking for, and also now getting them across the line where they're comfortable with you. Now, if you find this great deal, it, it doesn't matter because they need to understand who you are, why you're doing it, why you're investing in multifamily, and then why this deal. If you try and do all those stages, just when you find a great deal, it's going to be too much for to comprehend, and then you're going to have many no's, a lot of no's. So for us, we do this ahead of time, and that's why we pretty much have a 95 to 98% close rate with investors because once we find a deal, we've already had the talk track with our investors. So we know the investors that like the deals. We bring it to them. We say, hey, got this great deal, and they're in. It's, it's as simple as that. But if you go to the point here where now you find a great deal and you bring it to them, you haven't done the homework to have the talk track with those investors. Well, now you're going to fall on the sideline of, of having to go through all these steps. It's going to be a lot for someone to take on. It's going to take a lot longer. And then ultimately it's going to be a lot tougher for you to get people involved in a deal because it's too many hurdles for them at that time. And you're going to become stressed. And then you're ultimately going to feel like you need the money. And then the limited partner is going to feel that it's going to become much more difficult. So, Again, why multifamily? Here's a lot of points that we always touch on. Cash flow, appreciation, tax advantages, depreciation, debt pay down, a kinds of scale. This is why we got into it in the beginning. This is why we did what we did. This is why we said, okay, this is a great opportunity because it gives us everything. If you do flips, you understand, right? You're either, you're either making money or you're not making money. Well, here you have a many different ways you can win with this asset. This is why we love multifamily. All right, so here was the guide. You know, we, we became our Yoda and we guided us to learning the terms, 
how to talk to talk, dissect the markets, build the team, raise capital, underwrite deals, make offers, and close deals. It's basically what we teach today, but here was the steps. We just talked through really one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Now we're at the point. Now we have everything put together. We can go out there and start making offers because we can put the pieces together. So put the pieces together. You start spreading the word of everything you want and everything that you're looking for. And why is this important? We're going to get into how we actually found Norbrook is that we have found deals through brokers. I actually had a friend who said, oh yeah, my uncle has an apartment building, investors at meetups, emails, random emails. I had someone um, basically DM me on, on Instagram the other day. He's actually got a property in Florida. He ends up being a broker. You know what I said? I said, one of my goals for this month is to meet brokers. And ultimately, dude reaches out to me on Instagram, says, I'm a broker. I said, great. He said, let's have a call. I said, absolutely. Got on a call with him. He actually has a 44 unit in Florida. Sweet. Cold calling. That can be you, can be team members. Cold calling off Craigslist. I actually have looked up apartment communities on Craigslist, called up direct to owner and said, hey, I'd be looking to buy your place and actually got to a point of negotiating deals where we almost closed a smaller property off of Craigslist cold call. Cost segregation people have, have had a cost segregation guy know of an asset and bring the assets. Property managers and of course, things that are listed and on the market. So, Let's put the steps into place. And that was basically, we rolled through a lot. We're gonna have a lot of time for questions and answers, but here was a 94 unit deal in Louisville, Kentucky. I found this through a property manager. There we go, right? So let's go back. One of the partners, boom, property managers. Let's go, go through anybody. You can think about someone who's doing pest control. You can think about someone who's actually uh, going out there and doing a lot of construction work for apartment buildings. You can think about uh, people who work for utility companies. You talk about this, you're excited about this, you love doing what you're doing, then ultimately you just keep talking about what you're doing, but you're specific. And so when you're specific, people remember it. If I went out there and said, hey, I wanna buy real estate, well, the property manager is not gonna help me find this. But if you remember earlier in the conversation, we said looking for 75 to 150 units, BC assets built between 1970s to 2005, three to 12 million in the South Side, South Central submarket of Louisville. All right, so here we go, 94 units. Checks the mark, three to 12 million. Checks the mark. Uh, built uh, 1970s to 2005. This was 1971 to 1975. Checks the mark. See asset. Checks the mark. South Central sub market. Checks the mark. See, put it out there and you get it back. This property had a ton of upside, right? Value was in the operational upside, had below market rents below market occupancy and extremely high expenses. Quick story here, um, owner had passed away. He was in his 90s, um, was a very um, well off, did very well with real estate, had about a thousand single family homes in this large property. Um, his children who were in their 50s and 60s actually went to the point of uh, going forward and trying to um, sell the property, but they were all living out of state, really had no context, weren't involved in real estate. So we offered 2.1. Now here's what it is. Did we try and lowball them? No. That was not our intent. However, based on the current financials of the property, of these five buildings here, that's what the properties warranted. So found this through a property manager. Um, they had to soft market it through a broker. We actually put in there and we just said to them, like, listen, like, here's our offer. Here's our reasons for our offer. Um, my suggestion to you, if this is a property that just comes on the market, I, I wouldn't go in there and just put a low ball offer in there because you're going to create bad vibes with the, the broker. Just it, It's going to create a bad report. But I would say to the broker, um, hey, Mrs. Broker, here's where we came to on this price. 
We're happy to write up an offer. Here's the reasoning we came up to this price guidance. Uh, would you like us to put in an offer for you? They'll appreciate that and they'll give you guidance. Um, yes, you know, um, this, this group is completely unrealistic. We'd love to give them something that makes sense and give them the, re the, the feedback before that. Or no, um, this is the price. I feel good with this price. Um, not at this time. Great. So you move on. So asking was 3.2 million. Our offer was 2.1 million. They counted us uh, at 3.2 million. So as you can see, we did not get very far in our negotiations and we went away. We went away for the simple fact that we said, okay, just too far apart. And this happens a lot. But here's where we go. We followed up. We tracked all of our offers. We followed up on the, uh, this one about eight months later. And that's where this is, patience is the key. These are large opportunities. You don't need to buy 50 of these in a year. You can buy one of these and really do great. I know someone who's brought you know, a 50 unit. It's been in their family for years and their family is actually surviving very well off this one building. So this does not take buying 100 buildings. It just takes buying the right building. So eight months later, had it moved, had kind of fell apart. Everybody forgot about it and things had happened, right? So we offered 2.1 million and 50,000. So we just 50,000 higher than our original offer. Um, and then now they came back and offered 650,000 to the point here where it was actually in a negotiation and we were able to close this for 2.3 million and a purchase price of 24 and a half per door, which was the lowest price entry point in the submarket in about three years. Now here's what happened. We offered now, if we go back, 2.1 million, right? Well, a lot of other people are coming in, they're offering 2.3, 2.5, 2.2, 2.0, whatever, whatever was the case, because that's what the property was warranted. But the sellers at that time, eight months earlier, had in their minds, I believe um, it, it was worth 3.2. Where they got that guidance, I'm not sure, but they were stuck in that. But after they heard enough, well, they start to become more realistic. However, here's where the patience paid off. Everyone else forgot about this opportunity and went on, went on to other opportunities because they said, oh, the sellers are just unrealistic. So us following up, we got our counter of $2.6 million and we were able to go and close this out. Uh, when we did close it, the appraised value was 2.6 million. But here's where it, it got to the point. In the end, we just said, hey guys, um, here's our underwriting. We actually sent this over to the, uh, the, the sellers. We just said, listen, this is our underwriting. Um, this is where it plays out right now for us. It, we are bringing investors onto this deal. We can't pay more than this. We can't pay to this price guidance here that you're asking for because it just doesn't work. And this was honestly our letter. Um, we wanted to see if you could pass this along to the sellers from Norbrook. Hope we will provide you with more color why we're at 2.3 million as our max number. As you can see in our attached executive summary, if we go above 2.3 million, the numbers do not work for our investors or any other potential buyer in the market. Um, was that probably overstated? Maybe, but the truth was it didn't work for our investors. Um, a cap rate of 6.8 is too low compared to the other assets similar to Norbrook that we have recently screened. Also a 4.7 cash and cash return is too low and underwriting this deal, assuming there are no immediate repairs to be done, which is not what we typically do. Put this in front of them, we're able to get this deal done. So here was our business plan. A seven-year hold to allow property to stabilize by month 18, organically capture on loss to lease by keeping the property stabilized. Um, so a few things here. 
this property um, had six vacant units when we took it on. It was very well maintained. The owner had actually built this, who had passed away, had actually built this property itself. Uh, it was just all in classic stage. I mean, you had green shag carpet, a liter literally original green shag carpet in units. However, this property, since we've had it, we've never had to go out there and do live marketing because the, the, the walkthrough traffic alone has been enough to just fill these units. So if you look at this and you look at this asset, you say, okay, so what was keeping it down? Well, there was a number of things. They had a leasing lady in there and her name was, um, I always think it was like, it was Bridget, right? Well, when we went in there for our inspection, Bridget was watching Dog Bounty Hunter and was so annoyed that we're taken away from her time of doing her job. Well, her job was really to watch Dog Bounty Hunter. She wasn't allowed to actually take rent checks there at the property. They were having tough times on collecting rents, but she couldn't take rents. The, the tenants there actually had to either mail rent in or take it four miles down the road to drop it off. She also had six units that were rent ready sitting there to be rented, but she really had no, no really drive to rent them. So as people were coming up, she just wasn't doing the, the work. But if you walked across the street to the same asset that was across the block, it was literally the same property owned by somebody else who was basically offering them a uh, hundred dollars more for market rent, but just doing a job of actually getting the units rented. So, Part of our business plan was just capture market rent on turns with classic finishes, improve operations, uh, cut down the maintenance staff from three to one and a half people. We actually started this with two people because there was a ton of deferred maintenance on the asset and we wanted to go in there and really just create the best community possible. And this is what we like to do on our assets. We do this from the outside in. If you've ever rented, you're always, and someone buys the property, your fear is, okay, rents are ultimately gonna go up. So with that said here, we go in, we improve the property, we make it a better place from live from the out, outside in. What that means is we clean up the carpet peel, we clean up the landscaping, we now change out the siding. We just really give it a nice little makeover outside. We start taking care of any of the problems that have to do with um, the, any concrete work, any concrete flat work, anything that has to do with, with shutters or anything that needs, needs a touch of and paint. Then we work ourselves inside. That means that we're gonna tackle, and that's why we had two, two maintenance people to start, we're gonna tackle all the open repair items really knock them down because as tenants go they get accustomed to an ownership that's actually not improving the property and don't answer their calls they'll stop calling so in a property like this where it's a master meter property and the tenants know that they're going to call and to get something done it's not going to happen why are they going to call so we take over this property we know ultimately right away we can go and just start cutting down our utility bills by just actually correcting things insulating pipes uh checking for all the leaks out there just going out there and making tenants know that we want to help we want to make this a better place now where does this help right it cuts down our utility bills but it also cuts down our turn bills because now the tenants know that we're going to take care of them so we start improving the property, make it a better place to live, a better community for them, something they can be happy and proud to live in. And then ultimately now we start doing rent bumps along the way. We're doing now, we had a stage red, uh, yellow, uh, green. And red was people that were fully under market, were not paying, were having trouble with collections. We actually would just take them right to market because they were all on month to month. Uh, we would have yellow and green where we'd be provisionals and they would have some form of rent bumps from month to month where we bring them up. And then hire a great leasing staff. We wanted to have the right people, the right opportunity. Why, why uh, Bridget was there, she also didn't speak Spanish. We had a good amount of Spanish speaking tenants. So we aligned that with having a uh, leasing manager who was bilingual. Really helped recreating more community there. And we just wanted to change the face and the opinion of the property. It doesn't take as much as you think. Sometimes people just wanna be heard, go out there and listen to what they need, and then now help them 
have that place that they want to live. So what's gone right? We effectively transition new management onto the property, creating an effective tenant process. Um, tenant screening and collections process were put in place. This allowed us to be very uh, good with our collections. I mean, we're traditionally for the entire time we held this asset, we're able to constantly, you know, you have evictions, you have parts where tenants are going to be misaligned with, with your business plan. But ultimately, we were very good on our tenant screening process going forward, which also helped for us having fewer turns. We turned over about 65 units. All of them were done to classic turns. We were able to capture on just the organic loss lease and now capture on the growth of the, of the property itself and the growth of the path of progress. Uh, we had six and 12 month repairs. Um, these repairs could be anything from um, striping and sealing a parking lot to um, changing out boilers to uh, replacing broken windows to uh, fixing sidewalks to um, fixing um, stairs. So these came down uh, somewhere CapEx elective that we chose to do and others were requirements by the lender. Uh, we did go in there and do all this work. Um, some of this with aluminum wiring uh, remediation. We did go in there and do this work and get this completed in five months. That really accelerated our business plan because assuming that we thought this work was going to take longer, it also now transitions where we could spend more time now on our repositioning plan with the tenant base just to create, uh, close that gap in the loss the lease quicker. We created a tenant referral program that allowed our new great tenants to refer their friends to live there, right? So your two biggest costs are going to be your turn quote and your time to be vacant. So how do we really just bridge the gap? We brought in great tenants and we gave them the option to refer friends. Could we find that if they, they're going to refer their friends, they're going to stay there longer. We also did, of course, had a better screening process. So that screening process knew that the tenant was going to be there for at least a while because we've screened them to know that the right tenant, the right candidate to be with our property. Uh, we implemented a move-in fee instead of a uh, security deposit, and we basically coupled this with a surety bond. What this did is that it's allowed us to actually have income that was going to the bottom line because this was a, a unit-ready uh, fee that we could align with here. Then we had a surety bond that was paid by the tenant and that covered us for up to one month's rent. Where this was important here is that now we're having more income just going to the bottom line, but we're also being covered by the surety bond. But we partnered these and together they were slightly less than someone would pay for a security deposit right across the way in a comparable property. Uh, we installed a water savings plan. And this was a part of tenant training where we just actually made tenants know that they could go in there and just call us and come out there and fix things. We also did water walks to, to assess any units that may have uh, constant water leaks or some leaks that need to be attended to. And then we replaced all the toilets, all the shower heads and faucets. We placed the toilets with low um, e-flush toilets and we placed the shower heads and the faucets uh, with aerators cut our water bill down by 30%. We closed this out. We brought the property at a seven and a half cap and that created instantly $325,000 more in value to the property just by changing toilets and taking care of the water bill. So remember, you can improve the property in many ways. If you're going to be a group that's just gonna look at the rents, you're gonna be in a highly competitive area and you're gonna be very difficult for you to take traction here. You need to find all the ways you can make this a better place to live. 
We had the Louisville Metro Police use one of our uh, vacant units to do a stakeout and arrest bad guys in a neighboring building that was owned by the city. So this is very important, right? Our tenants didn't feel safe. We took action. Outside of what was our action, we suggested this. We got in contact with Louisville Metro Police. We wanted our tenants to feel safe and know we take care of them. But it also helped to the path of progress. Got rid of these tenants. Path of progress continued along its merry way, improving the neighborhood. And you'll see how that now paid off in the future. We put a laundry contract on the building. So this building had two laundry rooms. There's 600 units around this area. They did not, uh, those other 600 units had to go off site to find laundry, a laundry room or a, a laundromat. We were able to now take the one laundry room that was completely down, put it online. Now take the other one that was uh, not performing well and put that online. And then open this up to all the 600 units around there. We also aligned with a, a laundry company and that laundry company gave us a decorating fee, which I think was a hundred hours a door. So that was 9,400 hours right to our bottom line. And then now they take care of all, they brought in brand new machines, they service the machines, they count all the coins, they do all that legwork. And we split revenue, I believe 60, 40. Pretty good deal, right? I don't have to have my maintenance guy or my leasing person in there counting coins, carrying around bags of coins, all that drama. And when a laundry uh, machine breaks to go through that whole point, it's just handled, it's off, and we can focus on running a better building instead of being um, in business as, as a laundry room. We also did this in align with the cable company. The cable company gave us a similar deal where they actually, as tenants uh, buy cable, we get a revenue share from the tenants and we also got another quote unquote decorating fee or usage fee from them, which I believe again amounted to about $9,000. And we made this building safer as we talked about before and a better community to live with and to all. So more that's gone right, we increased rents above the performer across the board. We found that as we were doing this, we were capturing on just time and area. So our rents were actually go up. We also did up to 50% some form of government assistance or other housing groups um, like Home of the Innocents, which, which helps to find shelter or places to live that are safe for, for battered women. Um, great way, uh, but we did find that doing Section 8, we were actually capturing more rent um, over market with Section 8 than we were even get at market. But we did want to keep this at 15% only. Uh, we do know people that may do more. Some people are apparent to it. We're open to do this up to 15%. And then as our process was um, it's basically accelerated, because if you, if you go back to our business plan, we wanted to get everything completed by month 18. Since we were done right here, Within five months, we had a one month, uh, we had a one year blackout on this loan. And this loan itself, we were able to go and refinance the property and return over 75% of the capital to investors while ahead of schedule. But let's talk about this here. So the loan we have was a 76 arm. It was, it was a Fannie uh, product uh, that we sourced through Arbor. Uh, we were able to go there and close it as the sponsors ourselves, and then we syndicated the equity. The equity, as we talked about, we did a 506B. That 506B is a syndication. It's a, it's a Reg D 506B that allows for accredited investors and up to 35 sophisticated investors. Difference there is accredited have to meet a threshold that if they're single, they make $200,000 a year for the last two years and, and are married $300,000 a year combined for the last two years, or they have a net worth, not including their home, of over a million dollars. Um, there's a few other points in there. Um, and then a sophisticated investor is just that. They don't meet the accredited criteria, but they have some business out, some savvy knowledge that they are aware of the opportunity and able to make a fluent decision on if this opportunity works. So 
we've continued to use this and this goes that we're continuing to grow our network and talking with family and friends. Um, as I talked about earlier, we had done this homework with investors well before we find this deal. And to have this talk track well before we found this deal, well, how did we do that if we didn't even have a deal? Well, we created our stereotypical mock deal, what we were looking for. We showed them what that mock deal would look like. We showed them what we'd be going after and ultimately what it would look like when we got the property. We put it on paper and it was just a one-sheeter and we were able to present that to them through and throughout to the point here that they now knew exactly what we were going to come to when we did find this property. So when we did go, in fact, and find this opportunity, we we're able to go and bring it to them and have a very high close rate, even on our first deal, because all the legwork was already done. So that's what you need to do. You need to get ahead of it to make the parts that can be difficult easy on your end. The broker, uh, the banker relationship with Arbor, we had created that relationship months prior. So we knew what their expectations were. We knew we were going to be into. So having both of these done prior to the opportunity allowed us one to get into it. And also now knowing the opportunity to refinance was there. We used Arbor again and rolled into a Freddie Mac uh, product that was a 10 year term um, that had a step down prepayment penalty. So at the refi, uh, the appraised value at refi was 3.2 million, right? So we went from 2.6 to 3.2 in basically a year, which was the original owner's asking price. That's pretty huge, right? So we, we had this big jump. This was the owner's original asking price, but the property is now worth it because this is what the property was offering at. Um, some more things we did, we instituted pet fees, um, pretty quick story, but you always look for what neighboring properties are doing because that's going to limit you or help you be able to do what you can do on that property. If um, we wanted to do rubs here, it, it, it should have or could have worked, but the neighboring assets, uh, the 600 units around there, um, one owner had owned about 300 of them. He didn't do rubs. He didn't want to do rubs. He didn't want that as part of his business plan. So ultimately, anybody that tried to do rubs around that area was designated that they couldn't do it based on that owner. So all the other properties did pet fees and our property was the only property not doing pet fees. It was easy for us to put that in process and allow and put that to work because really just instituted pet fees. Everyone else was doing it. It was pretty easy for us to go in there and get $250 non-refundable pet fee. And then now the $25 a month we get for pet rental. So here's what changed, right? We had a seven year business plan, but you do need to constantly always be looking at the opportunities around you and what to make sense. So we were performing very well. We worked very well with our property management company. We'll talk pretty quick on that. Um, the, the growth of you and your asset is going to be a lot aligned with how great your third party management is or how great your asset management is because if either is lacking, the other is going to falter. So if you, um, have the best plan in the world and you, you don't have a property manager who's aligned with your vision or understand your vision or is warranted to even be um, working on this asset, well, it's not going to get implemented correctly. Um, you may have a great property management, but they're having poor guidance from you or they're not getting funding correctly or not getting answers quickly. Well, that's ultimately going to hinder the opportunity. So you want to make sure that you find a great property management company. You're giving them guidance. You're getting feedback from them because they're pros in the market to understand what can and can happen and what you can do and what you can't do. Because if you're not having that guidance, you can try and put things to work and find you're going to fall on your face. So like this, um, they said, Hey, it'd be great to stage assets, right? Or stage units. Well, I went ahead and because we were under a short amount of time, I actually used a site like Fiverr virtually staged the unit, got that done literally in a day. 
So here's another one down here on the bottom, virtually staged unit. Literally just told someone, and they, they made it look too nice in the beginning. I was like, oh, that's, that's way too nice. So I actually had them pack it out to what I thought was comparable point, but it makes it look great, right? And you can't tell this is virtually staged, but it literally virtually staged this. So you can always think about ways that you can get around it. I've done uh, Facebook advertising on other properties. I've done Zillow advertising on other properties. So you always want to look at what can you do to improve the asset that's going to work that maybe someone's not thinking about because that's where you win and that's where you make money. So for this, we set up and we still have weekly calls with our property management companies. It's very important. We get on that call, we talk about construction, we talk about leasing, we talk about collections, we talk about any open items. It allows us to keep formatted, keep regimen, and keep the properties moving along. These are big properties. If things get sidelined for weeks or a couple weeks extra, it takes 10 times longer to turn it around. This is not just a house where something goes sideways, you can get it back on. And you have 50 to 100 to 200 to 300 people living in a property. It doesn't just happen overnight where you're able to fix something and get something moving again. So you always want to have a constant flow with your property management companies and with your partners on the ground to make sure that you're making solid business plans that can be continued to be implemented quickly. And if your plan is not being implemented, then you need to take the measures to pivot quickly. So, yeah, no, that is correct, Nora. It is Fiverr.com. I might have put one R. Um, but you can do that. Upwork is another great one. I'll use Upwork for a number of things, too, for some quick analysis as need be. Um, the talk track, too, with investors is that as you are now having communication with your property management, you also want to have that same communication with your investors. When you buy the property, you want your limited partners and your investors to be really fluent about how communication is going to work, when they're going to hear from you, um, how they're going to hear from you, what they're going to see when they hear from you, and, of course, like when things like tax documents can come out. And most importantly, when are you going to distribute returns? So ultimately, this is going to be laid out into your private placement memorandum that's going to be aligned by your syndication lawyer. But ultimately, when we close it, we congratulate all of our limited partners and our partners for being part of the deal. We give them the guidance that returns will start, um, you know, first quarter. Uh, they will be in, you know, let's say, February, May, uh, uh, August, and November. Uh, we will do a monthly update. And to make our monthly updates fluent, we do it in this process. We tell them what is going great, what's been done, what is not going to plan, and what we're doing to correct that. Having those steps there gives an investor a full picture of what's happening in this asset because you're answering the questions ahead of time. Not everything's going to be perfect. If anybody assumes everything is going to be perfect, you're completely misaligned with just humanity itself. You need to make sure that you're being very clear that Okay, this has gone great. Perfect. Kudos to us. This has not gone perfect. Okay, here's what we're doing to fix it. We had um, six power lines burst underground, not part of the business plan, but we were able to have the right team members in place where that was able to handle, be handled uh, appropriately quickly where it took down a building for less than 24 hours and be online. We didn't have the right team members in place that could have gone sidelines. We let investors know about that. Uh, we actually had three deaths in the property. Now, before you get crazy, they were actually natural deaths, but that's a lot of people dying in two and a half years in a 94 unit property. But to my, my part, I didn't know that when that happened that you actually have to go through an eviction process for that. It's just a standard protocol. So to know that, 
that's part of the process. You, you can't underwrite for that, right? I can't underwrite that that's going to happen, but that happened on the property. So to talk about, you know, how that happened, what you're doing to now correct it and just make sure, you know, um, the next of can, everybody's aligned, everybody's made certain of what's happening just so you can move forward and do that properly. So these are parts of your business plan that you, you have built out and then other things that now are going to happen when there's hundreds of people living in the building. But as you're going through this and you're continuing, you do want to not just have blinders on just at your property. You want to be looking at the area. And we knew the area was getting better. We knew our tenant base was improving, but we also were keeping an eye on how other properties were performing. Really most notably because we were trying to buy more in that area. But what happened is that 300, it's around 300 unit property that was right around us, which we feel is our real true comp and was the best asset in the area, sold. It sold at a number that I didn't expect it to sell at. Um, it was very surprising. It was great, but it sold prematurely. But what this showed us is that, well, we may want to take a look at the market because this was a great comp for us. And for us, we're in year two, um, it, moving into year three here. And that being our best comp, we're not, that comp wasn't going to turn around and sell in another three years because that group was coming in that brought that property, was coming in to do a whole premium upgrade in that property. So ultimately, our best comp, wasn't going to be available to be out there in three to four years. This area now, as it's grown, is, is allowing and really warranting to have premium upgrades. Well, if you look back at our business plan before, which was here, we aligned that we were going to capture the property on really going forward and doing classic finishes because that's what the neighboring properties were doing uh, in 2017. So we said, wow, okay, so premium upgrades. Well, we were not capitalized to do premium upgrades. It was never part of the business plan. So we had to look at this. Okay, we had, you know, 70% of the units that gave a, a new buyer, if they want to come on here, just the opportunity to go in there and do a, uh, a premium level renovation. Also, rates are super low. They're even lower today. So we want to look at our price points based on also will rates stay the same at three years out. So weighing the ability to continue to organically grow, which was really what we were doing, right? We were capturing a loss of lease, property was doing great, cash flowing like a, like a beast, really just doing well, or seize the market dynamics that were really working in our favor, we decided to sell. We felt that the delta and what we could potentially make in the next three years compared to where we were at today, it much outweighed where we're at today just, to, just for us to make the choice to sell. All right, so how did we sell the property? We actually didn't go out there and do a full market of the property. We wanted to know that it was what we thought and it wasn't a random, this property selling at that price point. So we actually soft pitched it and um, had, had some other investors I knew, had some other groups I knew, I talked to uh, some brokers offline, just said, hey, listen, thinking about this property, um, put this property out there. Uh, if you have any candidates that, that ultimately may wanna take a look, you know, let us know. And we had five offers. So we knew we had all strong candidates and it solidified that the market exist, existed. So ran returns again, and then we picked a horse and that, that horse was actually brought to us by a broker and funny enough off market broker brought it. Uh, we paid a commission, happy to pay a commission because they actually paid the price with the broker commission in there that made this a great opportunity for us to close this out there and give our, great, our investors a super return at the finish line. Um, but it was super important here because two things, right? We didn't put this out to market officially. We're still way ahead of our business plan. So it wasn't going to taint us and we didn't have this because this was never put out officially. Plus it was still cash flowing like a beast. So if this did not, uh, for whatever reason, hit that mark right now, we were still have a great property that was doing very well. 
Um, so selling price, got it closed. Uh, you know, we brought this 2.3 million, uh, sold it at uh, 3.978. It took a while to close, but the buyer got it done. Uh, buyer had some penalties for not closing in time. So it's, again, very important to make sure that you have guidance on what happens that if, if, a, if a, a buyer cannot perform or do what they're going to say on your timeline, what happens? So ultimately, we had the opportunity to, to walk away if we wanted, or they could have penalties, but it allowed us to get a, a few more dollars into the bank for the investors, and then again, again, gave us this great opportunity to sell it. And the greatest position here was that we were never in an opportunity that we needed to sell. We were able to make the right decision for ourselves um, because we still had backup offers and we also had a beautiful cash flow on the property. And then again, we well exceeded investor return expectations in only 2.5 years compared to the seven um, years that we had talked about in the beginning. Very nice to have that, have that in your wheelhouse. And when you can, it's always to the point here where you can go in fact and now have the conversation where, okay, it doesn't work out. We can talk to another offer or property is awesome. So we can continue to run it like we are today and allow it to still run its course. So that's it. Um, if you want to get involved, you want to, you want to know more about our coaching, go to multifamilyfoundation.com. Uh, of course, potentially partner with us in a future deal, invest with your rusi.com. Uh, but I do want to take time to really just have a bunch of questions. Now, if there is, there's some people here, if you want to talk on any parts specifically that we can dive into, you know, let us know, type in the forum box here, give us some questions and we can really dive in. Yeah, great question, John. So there's always challenges, right? So if um, we, let's think, uh, we'll go right down, right down the pipeline here. Um, the biggest one that always stands out was that we did have that building that it, it, it I thought it was going to become, become a problem. This was five buildings, two were on one side of the street um, and three were on the other, right? Um, but what happened is this building was back to back and there was actually, um, there was actually gun violence where someone got shot. And we thought it was really going to take apart where well, this one building was so scared that they were gonna, we were going to have a vacant building. Like it was that bad for a minute. And this was not an area that was that dangerous. Right. So we, we got involved and, and we ended up having to call um, our private manager company was trying to go through section eight and have them do it. And we went the other way. We just called straight to the city and started calling numbers and really just leaving messages and really having to do the groundwork because not only would it have been detrimental if someone got hurt in our property, but also been to the point here where um, things would have happened where, you know, we start having a vacant building and starts hurting our returns and everything else. Um, so that was definitely one that that always stood out. Another part right there is that you get into the point here, if you're looking at the property, is that um, we had to change out two boilers. Um, we had to look at that and had to make sure that we were seeing what the right benefit is there. But boilers, as you can imagine, is it's something that you don't always see in the bottom line, but it makes it more efficient. So you want to look at from from your property side is that you have to make decisions, right? Um, you may want to change out windows, but if you don't change out windows, um, you're going to get caught in the back end. So that could be something that you will have another buyer will come in and want to buy the property, um, but they're going to hit you really bad for not replacing those windows. So looking at that point and also um, more things that happened. We did have a few evictions. Um, we did one thing here where we had, right when we took it on, we actually had five people jump ship, but 
it went a month here where because we had just crossed that threshold where they're paying rents, those five tenants who had jumped ship, we had that lag because we were waiting for them to pay rent. And then when they came in there again, you had the delta of the late notices. So we actually had walk in there day one on our first large property here. Also now we had this five vacant units that was a surprise 45 days out to figure out that they were actually vacant. So some things here, we did walk in the units, um, you know, the day of takeover, but really just, again, making sure that, that as you're doing taking over that the, the property manager company is making sure they're doing a really fluent process of taking over the property and giving tenants notice. So hopefully that could align to, to save us a little bit of the lag right there. Um, some of the other things that come up, um, of course, the power lines did happen right there. That was always a constant spot. Um, what were some of the other things that did come up that were that were big points? Uh, some of the contracts took a long time that we could have actually um, said no to. The the cable contract actually took almost a year and a half to put in place, and it took me having to go um, partner with other complexes, get them on board, be able to get it done because they were saying my 94 unit wasn't enough to get it done. So. Lots of times you're going to have a lot of no's, but it's just what, what, or if you just need one yes, what does it take to get to that one yes? So as partner to get to that point um, was another point. Um, learning a process that we could be fluent with property management companies. So we actually started to create a term product. What that term product actually did was cut down our timeline and didn't think about it as, as start, but I implemented a process where I was very fluent with the property management company to say, here's exactly what we want for each turn to look like. And so anything that's not aligning with this turn, when we are taking, when we do have a vacant unit, you make it to that turn. So if uh, appliances are past five years old, we're going to replace them. If a uh, fan is broken, we're just going to make it a light. Um, if it's a second floor unit that's on a floating slab, we're going to just keep carpet because floor makes a lot of noise downstairs. And if it's downstairs, we're going to move over to a, um, a vinyl product for the floor. So it, for a luxury vinyl product. So having that in place that actually was able to cut down some of our timeline right there. Um, those were some of the major factors that we were always thinking about to really just find the ways to improve the property. Uh, so I might've missed it, but what was the total CapEx um, on the project? 260 thousand give or take so wasn't a ton it was about three units of some of this was done inside of operating but most of this was done in the front end um, we did change out the boilers we changed out all the toilets we did uh, redo all the parking lots we replaced windows we had uh, concrete flat work that had to be replaced um, what else did we do oh we changed uh, two large uh, water heaters we did up the laundry room uh, to get that back online uh, we did turn a, a lot of units, number of units right there. We did a lot of Eve work. We've placed shutters. Uh, we did a lot of uh, touch-up painting right there. We did roof work on two of the buildings. So a lot of things that ultimately in a huge landscaping budget replaced the signage, really just to make this property, just to look like it was, because it was a solid brick built like a tank building, but it just, people had taken their eye off it. So it was just becoming dilapidated. So cleaning all these things up, just had a better eye when you walk into it. Um, how did you uh, break out ownership percentages between investors and you or your partners? So we, we typically do, uh, it's basically, this was an 8% preferred return with a 70-30 split to the limited partners. So the limited partners get 70% of the cash flow after, their, after we hit their preferred return mark of 8%. And then us as general partners get 30%. If and when it crosses a 20% IRR on this property, there was a waterfall where it moved to 50-50. Um, how many GPs and LPs did you have in this deal? Two GPs and I think it was four, 
13 limited partners on this one. We just closed another one, so on the point, but it was just it was just two of us for the general partnership, um, and the limited partners were uh, 13, um, which is all through our internal network. But the good thing here is you don't need to have a ton, right? Because the LPs, well, as we refied, we actually brought another deal. So after we refied in year one, we, we refied it, we brought another deal and almost, I think the majority of those, uh, of those limited partners were able to roll their funds right into that new deal. So cool thing here is that they got about 75% of their money back. Now they're into two deals for almost the price of one. So they're psyched. But if you do, like I talked about before, you give them guidance, you talk to them about what you do. You, you, if they ask a question, you get back to them. If they need something, you get it done. Or if you don't know the answer, you, you tell them you're going to find the answer and you find it. Well, then they start to under, understand your process, feel more comfortable. And then they start to have maybe potentially they become your best marketing, right? So we have currently on a deal right now, we have, a, we have the, the original guy. And now next deal, we had his brother. Next deal after that, we had his other brother. Next deal after that, we had his cousin. So you see where we're going here is that you don't need to continue to have thousand people here. You, you can go out there and have a nice community where you do what you say, and then they become your best advocate because they see these are awesome opportunities. Not everyone is, is completely fluent that this even exists. So helping getting the word out, helping talking to people, doing things like podcasts or blogs, or just really just being excited about it and talking about it. You have a ton of people come to the table. Actually, um, I don't know why I went to a chiropractor. Like I, I've been to the chiropractor like once in the last three years, but like, um, I think three, I was talking about before I brought this deal, I go back in and now he's like all curious, wants to know. And now he wants to invest in a deal. I, I literally had talked about it like four years ago. So it just goes to that point of having a conversation, you know, putting that seed for thought. And then when it's the right time for people, they'll come out and be able to help. Um, did you do cost segregation studies? Yes. Um, I do do cost segregation studies on, on every deal. Um, if I knew I was probably gonna be out of this deal uh, this early, we may have thought on it, but since the plan was seven years, typically you want to cross um, a two, three year threshold for, for this. Um, but right now with, with trauma poses where you, you can take everything and, and, a, and a cost second study is basically an engineered study where everything is streamlined over 27 and a half years for typical depreciation. So your house gets written off at the same. So the, the value, the depreciation value gets uh, divided by 27 and a half and each year goes down and down and down. And that's how it'll be on, how it'll be written off. But as you know, you have carpets, carpet doesn't last 27, 28 years. Well, a, uh, a financial engineer is going to come in there and they're going to classify things in five, seven, and 15 year categories. That's going to allow you to now take that depreciation in five years or in seven years and in 15 years, instead of saying and having it going out for almost three decades. Uh, where it actually comes important is, is um, President Trump actually put in that the rule of you can actually take 100% uh, depreciation in year one. So that's super cool now because you're able to roll that up and make a business plan if you want to do that. Um, and this is also not a great thing for investors. We have, uh, Pia and I have two, three investors in deals that that's really their main driving point is they're very active in other real estate businesses. And they want to know if we're going to do a cost seg study because that cost seg study is going to be able to push forward losses for them to offset a lot of the other activity they have in their other real estate businesses. So you, that's, again, you, you 
you may not want to, you may not always know what's out there, but th that's where you continue to have your talk track. We raised um, on deals at times up to 50% of our money from self-directed IRAs. So why is that important? Well, I didn't even know you could do this when we first started this deal until someone said, hey, can I use my self-directed IRA? And I said, I'm not sure, but I'll find out. And that's just the talk track, right? I don't know, but I'll find out. So within having a mentor, literally within 30 minutes, I knew the answer, said, absolutely. Had, had a, uh, a self-directed IRA um, company that was recommended, now was able to align them. And now you have people who are able to use their retirement funds and put them to work. Well, why is that important? So everybody saw the, the stock market yesterday, people's stock market, you know, their portfolio is getting crushed, completely out of their control. They have no control over it. And now they're saying, well, this is ridiculous. I want my control back. So now they can self-direct their funds into things that are asset-backed that have all the advantages that a multifamily property has which is cash flow, appreciation, the tax benefit advantages, depreciation, debt pay down economies of scale. So that sounds a lot better than just saying, oh, Apple went down yesterday. Well, I have no control over Apple. So hopefully it goes back up, right? Here, you got an asset-backed investment that has a lot of different things working for it. Can you explain more about the usage fee with the cable company? Unfamiliar. Uh, basically, you're getting a kickback for each tenant that signs up with a specific cable company. So um, you ever lived in a building, like I, I, this always happened in New York and um, buildings in New York City when we rented there, they would be completely aligned that it would just be like Verizon because Verizon like had the right to that building. So what they're basically saying is that they have the usage rights to the building. Now there's two ways, there's bulk and there's non-bulk. We always push for non-bulk, but here's the difference. Bulk is where the cable company comes in there. They're going to pay you a higher usage fee and probably better on the revenue share, but you have to pay for every unit for the cable, whether it's 10% occupied or 100% occupied. And then now you're going to bill it back to the tenants and hopefully you're going to get the delta. Like if uh, the cable company costs you $20, maybe you bill it to the, the tenant for $35 and you make a $15, you know, $15 delta for each unit. Well, that's to me very good for class A, but that doesn't align so well for class C. So we want non-bulk. And typically a lot of cable companies are gonna they're gonna fight against you. They're gonna want you to do bulk because that's ultimately where they have a win-win, right? So you're you're paying whether it's in use or not. Um, but you will get more money from a bulk contract. We do non-bulk. Where's here's non-bulk. Is non-bulk is we're still gonna get a fee, a usage fee up front. It's not gonna be as much, but we don't have to pay for every unit. We actually pay for no units. We only make money when a tenant signs up with the building that now has its usage right. So if they sign up for Verizon, they start using Verizon, then we get a split of that revenue share. And as there's more infiltration into the building, we get more revenue share. So there's basically zero to 25% of the building, we get X amount. If it's 25 to 50%, we get X plus one. It's 50 to 75, X plus two. So that's how it all works for that process right there. But again, you want to look at what companies are available in the markets. And also, um, if there's other things like internet, right? There's also internet, um, some internet companies that you can do the same thing. You can also do the same thing here with uh, with utilities in um, 
deregulate states where you can go out there and source um, having someone who can help you source cheaper cheaper utilities or cheaper utility rates. There's regulated and deregulated. Um, unfortunately, I believe, and I'm, I may be saying the words backwards, but Kentucky is a regulated state, so I didn't have this opportunity. I was basically stuck with that company. But I know there's other states, I believe, like like uh, Pittsburgh. If you look up deregulated versus regulated for utility companies, you can see if one which which states fall into each category. And if you have the opportunity to go out there and, and have a, a utility broker go out there and source you cheaper utility rates, rates. It can be very big. If it's a master meter property and you can source cheaper utility rates by just going to market, well, that, that's, a, that's a home run right there. Like I, I've just made somebody probably tens of thousands of dollars that's going to do this tomorrow on your property. Um, yeah. Can you explain the moving fee instead of a security deposit again? So moving fee, right? Security deposit is typically as, as you say, hey, give me a one month's rent. I'm going to set it up here. If there's any damage to the property at the end, then you know we'll have to go and assess that. And I'll take this out of your security deposit. Um, a tenant moves in day one, and now they they hit the wall with the uh, you know the couch and they make a dent in the wall. And they're like, oh man! And now they're all nervous and they're all upset because now um, they're not going to get some of their security deposit back, and just makes it rough to start. And then at the end, there's always that point of contention because it's plus or minus what's actually, what's actually happening. Well, think about this, right? Okay, listen, tenants, um, there's, there's no security deposit. We're actually just going to uh, set this up where it's just a fee for us to decorate the apartment. You don't have to worry about it. You know, if it's something we know there's going to be some wear and tear in the apartment at the end. Um, and there's a, a sure bond. And the sure bond sets it up that they're now paying a, for the bond. So say it's $300 for the moving fee, $75 for the sure bond. And from there, now the typical deposit would have been like $500. So now they're getting it cheaper than what it was before. So they feel like it's actually a win for them as well. They don't have to worry about, you know, by accident, they, they dented the wall. So, okay, where can this go wrong? Well, it's going to take us away that the first year that we have to build up our reserve in the sure bond. But for us and our thought process was that as we build up the sure bond, we've also been much better at doing tenant, uh, basically streeting process. So we're bringing in good tenants. So hopefully the tenants we're not bringing in, they're not going to wreck the property in three months and have to get evicted, right? So ultimately we're going to have time to build up that sure bond over the course of a year where as they begin to now filter and move out, we'll have the Delta built up within the sure bond pool where if something did go wrong, we had to go back there and use that. Now, okay, then now we'll have that sure bond pool put in place. But look at in the front end. We also now have had that $350 or $300 or $400. That's gone to our bottom line right in the beginning. So we turned over 65 units, 65 units times, you know, rough math times 350, about $25,000. So I got another $25,000 of income to the bottom line, which whether or not it was less or more, was something that we now had on our path where we actually could now put to our bottom line and just showed a tracker of another income stream. So we started with a property here that was under market rents, very high expenses. We went in there, cut down the expenses, which improved the bottom line by changing out the utilities. We now went there and just literally just classic turns. But doing that, we also now brought on other, other revenue streams, we brought in laundry, we brought in cable, we brought in pet fees, we brought in application fees, brought in moving fees, standard practices. But doing the combination of both, we we're able to now take the property and create that space and create that verbiage where, where there was so much space where income was going up, expenses were going down, and now we're getting efficient on the process. And of course, our net operating income, which is how you value the property, was able to continue to rise. 
without us having to do is rip the bandit off and really just taking tenants to market on the rents. We were able to do it as organically, keep the property always under 90, over 90% occupied, except for that first week when we had five people move out and really just became a great place to live. Um, can you share software platforms and approach you use to attract high quality tenants in class C neighborhoods other than asking for referrals? Yeah, literally you, you, if you have a class C neighborhood, um, Everybody has a phone, literally every, here, here's my phone. Every tenant has a phone. They'll literally get, pay their iPhone um, before they pay for anything else. So you think they have Facebook? Absolutely. Go in there and do, put it on Facebook Marketplace. Go out there and put it on Facebook. Do Facebook advertising. Do it to the people that surrounding neighborhoods. Do it to the surrounding uh, school system, people that, that filter in there. Facebook's very smart. You can actually market very clearly through your ads to that group. Now, you do have to click that it is for housing so you don't get kicked back by them. But using Facebook marketing is, is highly attractive. Craigslist, another attractive thing right there. Um, also, softwares, platforms, and approaches to attract. So, Honestly, you're also going to have a management company. If you are using third-party management, they're going to give you the guidance on what comes up. If you're in a neighborhood like this one here, the thing that actually did it is that for Bridget before, she had no signs out front. We literally just put up a sign out front, like uh, some like posters on the building, like now leasing. Like as simple as that. Like it sounds like ridiculously simple, but if you're on a, a visible area where there's walk-through traffic, that can make and break the difference, right? Hey, now leasing, or even just putting a sign up where the leasing office is. Like the leasing office was randomly hidden in one of the units. Um, oh, one of the other income drivers we did is the original leasing office was a two bedroom apartment. So we actually took that, cut off one of the rooms, made that the leasing office. We were able to bring another unit online. I've actually done this three times now. We're able to take and reposition the leasing office into another space and get another unit back on properties. So always think like, where can I gain this back? Um, oh, and now I'm thinking about it. This property itself here, we had two large basements. We were able to go in there and actually put in storage units in the basements, get back even more rent. It cost us $2,500 to put in 10 storage units and we were getting 25 hours, I think 25 hours a month on that. So we're basically making the money back, you know, hand over fist on these storage units that literally just for us to going in there and using dead space. Uh, will you be sharing an underwriting spreadsheet for this property in your Facebook group? Um, so for this property in general, like, I, yeah, I mean, it basically goes down. I have to pull it up. Um, I, we, we used, we now have our proprietary uh, software. We're using Michael Blanc's in the beginning on this one right here. He's got a great one from that point. Um, so for that, the underwriting spreadsheet, that was just the Michael Blanc's one, which um, you can still buy in his site. Um, we wanted to do something that allowed us a few more things we're using today in terms of uh, partnering out how we turn units, like how many units are going to get turned year one, year two, year three, some of the other construction approaches. So we, we do, we have that as part of our program. Um, so if you do get in part of the program, it's in there as well. Did we miss anybody for questions? I do like uh, Asana too for tracking conversations that come up with the property management company that gives me, you know, daily updates and we have um, a bunch of different properties right now. So it allows me to set tasks and give tasks to people um, and also keep me updated on any tasks that may be going past deadline. Like, um, I mean, you can think of anything, right? So if I'm waiting on response on, on a question on um, start timeline for something, I, I'm going to get that, you know, notification on Friday saying, Oh, you know, the, um, the install, 
for the new signage has not happened, you know, the check-in for it. So I do like Asana for that point. Some people like Trello, but for me, Asana looked very well. And it also allows us to have different um, notifications for different people, for different properties, just to keep everybody on board with, with the chain of command with moving the, the, uh, the process forward. The, the, the biggest things that I, I could take as a takeaway here is that, you know, we just took action. We, we didn't know every step to do this. We knew enough to get going um, because you're not going to know every question. You're not going to have every detail laid out and tracked out. And if you did, you're going to be completely wrong on how those steps will take place in some of these small details. So you need to have the big picture like we talked about, have the team members in place, having the people that can help you and the right support network around you. And you'll get it done. You, you will get it done. I know I'm not the smartest person anywhere close that's on this group right here. We got it done. You can get it done. I see people all the time getting it done by just taking the action. But source your numbers. Look at what you're doing. Look at your activities for, for what you need. Uh, if you want to talk more, you can go on Multifamily Foundation and schedule a coaching call with us. Um, if, if this is not what you want to do, but you want to talk more about investing, sure. We'd love to talk too. See if, see if something if it aligns with there. All right, everyone. Super appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Talking shortly. All right. Bye now.